This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. On the vocals, Paul Anthony Nelson, and on lead guitar in the cave tonight is Emma Westwood. <laughs> I'll noodle. I'll noodle all night. Just wail. Yep. <laughs> uh, and on the bass, of course, is Cerise Howard. <laughs> <laughs> That's Just you, for the Cerise. record, that wasn't me. That was <laughs> very definitely Emma. I was about to do the Seinfeld theme, so, you know, you don't. <laughs> Just a bit don't. of slap bass. Go for it's it. It's not called for. <laughs> Stay on topic. Rain it in. <laughs> it is on topic, Cerise. Is it? It is. It is. Um, Discuss. <laughs> on tonight's show, we'll study actor Oliver, Olivia Wilde. Oliver Wilde. <laughs> Olivia Wilde's feature debut as director, Booksmart. We might find out what the little people of Stonehenge were or what they were doing in our <laughs> retro title, 1984's mockumentary classic, This Is Spinal Tap. <laughs> and we'll brave hurricane winds and alligators to bite into Alexandra Aja's crawl. How are we tonight? We're good. <laughs> We're good, Paul. You don't have any. Has uh, the Grim Reaper checked in? Any any losses during the week? There've been what? several, actually. But let's not dwell, must we? <laughs> I mean, it happens too often now. Yeah, it really happens too often. There's a big spate of them. I can't remember all of them. There's Rip Torn. Yeah, Rip Torn. I only that mentioned it because I knew there was there were people I was forgetting. Because yeah. yeah, Rip Torn was a big one. Mm. Um, mm. I sort of got into him through the Larry Sanders show. In the late nineties, so did I. And Larry and Larry Sanders, Gary Shandling's gone too. Yeah, actually, also Hank. Who was the other one? Um, no, Jeffrey Tambor's still with Jeffrey. us. Jeffrey. Oh, is he still with but us? But he's Whoops. not very popular anymore. Yes. Oh, okay. His career it's, might not be. Misdemeanors he, are plenty. Okay, let's mm. not talk about him then. <laughs> but <laughs> he's dead to us. <laughs> Alleged misdemeanors. Alleged. All right. Okay. And uh, I mean, look. Let's face it. Rip Torn was uh, up to a few alleged and <laughs> not so alleged misdemeanors when he was alive as well. Um, what a show! Just <laughs> amazing. I think there's footage of him punching on with Norman, Norman Mailer while Norman Mailer was directing a film. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's a film called Maidstone, which is just insane. Everybody was high and macho and insane. But he delivered some brilliant performances as well as cult films like Payday and, uh, of course, the aforementioned Larry Sanders show and various other great moments throughout the years. He will be missed. Very sad. Now, our first film for this evening is Booksmart. Now, on the eve of graduating from high school, seniors Molly Davidson and Amy Ansler, played by Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deva, type A high school students, receive a rude shock. While they've been sacrificing their social lives to study hard and get into Ivy League schools, the knuckleheads around them who just seem to be partying and getting high and late all year just got into the same schools. Shattered that they could have actually spent the year having fun while studying instead of being obsessively uptight while studying for the same result, Molly decides that their last night before graduation is her and Amy's last chance to make up for lost time, prove their fun and maybe just maybe hook up with the guy and girl they've been crushing on all year. Emma, did this pass your exam with flying <laughs> colours or should it stay back after class for detention with the breakfast club? 
this um, this film seems to uh, really lovely actually propagate in a lovely way propagate uh, the um, teen comedy genre, shall we say? It was it really fit. I don't think it broke any um, conventions in terms of uh, story setup, story line, and um, the way it all evolved and devolved and tied up. Uh, it, it really felt like a Clueless or a Fast Times at Ridgemont High or any number of one of the John Hughes movies. But it was definitely um, um, a movie of our time, shall we say, right now. And the th- the themes that it decided to tackle. <laughs> I'm glad you made that distinction and not our times in the people I know, in this I room. Felt like when I said that, that, my time yeah. was a long, long, long time ago. Well, you're still <clears throat> here, Paul. So at least at the moment. So it's your time, and um, yeah, not our teen time, shall we say? I also felt I felt quite a great teen a divide between me and my teen years watching yeah. this. Uh, but it's an interesting. The, the thing that struck me, it's very sassy, it's very fast quips, um, you, know, uh, you know, sharp dialogue, really good rapport between the two lead characters. I think that's one of the main things um, to, to point out. But it's the type of high school that people go to where everyone's an extrovert and even the supp- supposed daggy students or the ones who are being bullied um, don't seem to be quite as hangdog or bullied as you know. It's a hyper reality of yeah. what of of what a teen culture is, but at the same time, in in the way that cinema can be hyper hyper realities, it plays a lot with you know gender constructs and a whole lot of stuff in an interesting way. And I think I really enjoyed the Barbie doll sequence. Yes. Which sort of took me back a little bit to Todd Haynes' first <laughs> short film, his superstar about the Karen Carpenter story, where he told it through Barbie dolls. But in this is in a completely different way, and I thought it was playing on the way that you know um, young girls are expected to fit into um, a crazy ideal that is just not possible. I don't want to really ruin it for people because I thought it was. Fucking hilarious. I really thought that moment was very funny. But, and there was really hilarious movements, moments throughout the whole of the film. Um, it wasn't totally consistent for me, but I did like the way it moved into scenes that I've seen before or I felt I've seen before in teen, teen comedies, but kind of resolved them in a different way, in an unexpected way. For example, the love scene in the bathroom, if I say that, it, it, you'd see it. <laughs> It could go a different yeah. way. It went a certain way. Yeah, boy, um, did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. It was, it was, I will say it was patchy, but overall I enjoyed it. Let's just say. Let's. Yeah. Discuss, Cerise. Well, let's say that I enjoyed it a lot as well. Yeah. I got a lot of laughs out of this. And the rapport between the two leads is fantastic from the very get-go. Oh, that opening sequence, isn't yeah. it? Right, where they're doing the dances around the car, like <laughs> straight off. Yeah, and that doesn't instantly peg them as the outsiders, exactly the nerds of the class that we then learn they are. That They seem like girls who know how to have a good time. They can crack each other up effortlessly. They've got such a, a, a believable friendship you can tell that they're besties it really comes across in a way that you know they've just got this own language between them that is convincing it doesn't doesn't feel the least bit uh contrived so they're fabulous i i 
I'm sure I've seen them both before, but I I don't I haven't seen a lot of teen comedies in the Be- last. Beanie Feldstein is in uh, Lady Bird. Yeah, I, I saw that in a filmography. And I honestly couldn't remember. Mm. I, mean, I saw the film a year or so yeah. ago. Uh, Can you remember what she, who she, she was? She was Lady Bird's friend who she kind of left behind. Oh, that's right. <gasps> the one that yeah. was into the musicals. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Now yeah. I know. Yeah. Now I know. But I don't think, I don't recall seeing Caitlin Deaver anywhere. Yeah. Well, they're, they're both terrific comic actresses. They're just, they've got the chops big time. They're, mm. they're yeah, fabulous. And the supporting cast, all these other teens, the one who I, um, especially appealed to me, the actor's name is Skylar Gazondo. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, Jared, this extremely goofy character who just believes that he can just win everyone over by giving them merchandise bearing his likeness <laughs> and, and host a, a party on a yacht. He's, he, he is a very exaggerated case of the, the poor little rich boy, but he's hilarious. I, I, just his, his grin, sort of a grimace, sort of a yes, grin. Yes, it is. Yes. And uh, I found him... And his uh, one friend that um, who inexplicably appears everywhere. Yes. There's never any telling how she gets from A to B to C, but her, yeah. his, his uh, extremely dramatic uh, <laughs> friend is it, it was an unusual hysterical. friendship as well. But do, do you know, she's Billy Lord, who is uh, you Carrie, know, who's Fisher's Carrie Fisher's daughter, daughter, who has been in the, the Star Wars universe films and it seems to have roles where she stands there and looks serious and presses a button. But this was a very different role. She stole the movie for me. Yeah, she looked Gigi really sweet. I, yeah, I couldn't place her again because I haven't really tuned into those Star Wars mm. um, films, the latter day ones either. But yeah, all the cast uniformly are fantastic. Uh, even down to the little cameos from the name adult actors, whether it's Lisa Kudrow or Jason Sudeikis. Lisa Kudrow was sensational. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I don't need to know all the names. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's referring to a line in the film, guys, when we say that, not Lisa Kudrow's name. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, a really funny film. It's fast. Um, that that freak-out sequence is hilarious. Um, and it took me back to some teen comedies of, of the 90s, John Cusack, Savage Steve Holland films. Ah, yes, Better Off Dead. Where sudden bursts of stop motion. One Crazy Summer. Yeah, yeah, those two. Um, you know, darker comedies than this one. This mm. one's there's a little darkness in there, but on the whole, it's pretty light, and it's it's just actually really quite joyous. It's light, but then a teacher roots a student and yeah. some things like that. Well, like yeah. it's really, you know, you go, oh, they they just threw that in under there yeah, but in, a light way. <laughs> in a light way. Yeah, it's yeah. frowned imagine, on, even if the yeah. student is, you know, of age. But imagine anyway. if the ages were. Uh, imagine if the genders were reversed. Um, Good point. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I found this. I I'm mostly in agreement with you, um, M. I found this really. Um, Olivia Wilde shows she's got some game here. Like, there's some stuff she does with uh, some visual grace notes here and particularly some sound design choices that I thought were really interesting and kind of enlivened it from the usual kind of teen comedy form. Um, And that scene with the Barbie dolls, which is apparently her idea. Um, that's something she added... It's a great idea. ...to the script. And it's one of the most inspired moments in the film. And it kind of made me wonder if she'd be gi- been given a little bit more free reign what we might have seen um, because I found the shape of this really conventional um, mm-hmm. I do agree with the way like it seemed like all the innovations were around 
you know, identity politics and representation. And, you know, it was like, well, this time we're going to, you know, we're going to flip this. We're going to have that. And I like, and some of that's really beautiful. I like that they had, um, they basically, they gave a, a girl having her first, you know, gay crush and her first gay hookup the teen sex comedy kind of treatment. Yeah. And I thought that's cool and that's something we haven't seen a lot of and that was really that uh that's really great. But I think the actual structure of it seemed quite mechanical. Like it's like the characters fight because it's oh it's that time in the script and we need yeah. a conflict. When you could yeah, you could have easily seen it go the other way and being fine and being something mm. that further bonded them and you know, they could attack the future with that. Maybe it's, I, I kind of like the way, though, even that, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, I bet that it's, they can use the gender tropes to then play within it. I mean, then she could do another film that does, that pushes outside of that more. It's sort of like a, a bridging film in some ways. Mm. Yeah. Never mind that. It led yeah. me thinking, this is a great start. I, I'm very much looking forward to see what she does next. I, I agree with you both. I think the leads are terrific. Caitlin Deaver in particular as Amy I think is quietly wonderful. I think mm. she's really, really great. I I thought Beanie Feldstein was fun. There's a little bit of mugging going on there and I think the cast in general, I think a, a lot of my issues I had with the film were to do with the script. I think the cast really work overtime to try and make what is only an intermittently funny, what I found to be only intermittently funny script work. Um, but the cast are all wonderful. Yeah, Billy Lord as Gigi just heists the movie. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, see, I... And, and look, I, I come to this with a caveat. High school movies are normally anathema to me. Um, they remind me of a <laughs> terrible period of my life that I wish not to be reminded of. Do you not like uh, John Hughes films? Not really. I, oh, I adore like, John see, Hughes See, my favourite John Hughes films are... I, I, love, I love Ferris Bueller probably because it takes place outside of high school yes. and I love Planes, Trains and Automobiles. They're my uh, favourites. And I can see... Sixteen Candles I was obsessed mm, with. Obsessed with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the thing. And, and, like, I compare this to something like... And there's been a lot of talk about... Like, I... I compare this film to something like, and I know it's a TV series, but Freaks and Geeks to yes. me is the the urtext of high school American high school. Yes, on screen, I think it's which was before its time. Oh, like you 100%. think about it, put Freaks Freaks and Geeks on ten years later, and it would have done much better than it did because it only did one season, yeah, didn't it? One yeah. glorious season, and I yeah. only came to it a couple of years ago, and I was again avoided it because of that thing, mm-hmm. uh, the the high school thing, and and. I, I was just gobsmacked by the honesty. And so when I see something like this that does, as you say, Emma, have that kind of very idealised, very... And it's very fast-talking and cartoonish a lot of the time as well. They just kind of kept taking... It's going, yeah, okay, this is a this is not really a real thing. And I guess, I, I don't know, a little bit of it is pre-publicity, but I, I really expected something a little bit more real and deeply felt and a bit less post-Apatow. Yeah. Um, but But having said that, look... It is a f- it's a fun movie. I think its target audience are going to love it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, they, that sort of, you know, fast or everybody's talking like they're on masculine and, 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 you know, are geniuses. I think, it, I think it's interesting that someone like uh, Will Ferrell is behind um, the, the actual, well, he's, his name's behind it, but he doesn't make a presence of himself. And I think that's really smart because he could have an ego and decide that he needs, because he's, you know, he's a comedian, but he's, I feel it showed that he understood where he fits yeah. and therefore he didn't 
uh, push his nose into this film, which I thought was yeah, excel- excellent. That's the thing. And yeah. him and uh, is it him and Adam McKay? Or yeah, you, it's uh, Adam yeah. McKay. Yeah. Um, I like that they're you know they're obviously godfathering this project that is written and directed by women and starring women, you know, and to sort of take the stage. And I think it's very cool. And I think it's totally on a par with Superbad or one of the better teen yeah. comedies of recent years. Um, but did it? I, it just didn't. I, I just felt it was a bit a bit too big and cartoonish and broad to really um, land the emotional beats that it kind of hopes for at the end. Mm. But, look, I mean, yeah, and but it does get Prefer funny as it goes along. Uh, Gigi and her friend, Skylar Gisondo, <laughs> Jared, are uh, terrific. Um, but, yeah, um, but... Uh, it, it all, yeah. you know, it hitting the beats, it all comes around to the graduation speech, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really does. <laughs> and, and as you say again, the, the resolution is somewhat shift somewhat different to yeah. what what we expect and that and that's admirable as well and yeah i i think the the, the film does make a, a few subtle changes but overall it's it is still that for fairly rigid kind of generic formula yeah yeah it's not better off dead no no hell no it's, it's not fast yet. times at ridgemont high even though it plays with that i mean fast fast times at ridgemont high is a far darker film and a far more uncomfortable yeah. film like it even plays uncomfortable scenes in a kind of funky way this you know it's there but you know anyone who hasn't seen fast times at ridgemont high is worth it's worthwhile seeing for, for the cast as well a cast of people in their teens who would go on to do a lot of things including sean penn as spicoli spicoli jennifer, jason <laughs> lee jason lee uh jennifer yeah Je- jennifer, jennifer jason, jason lee. lee um phoebe cates phoebe cates who went on and then judge went Re- away yeah judge reinhold the kids wouldn't remember me now <laughs> And that's a shame, Emma. I mean, but of course, Fast Times at Richmond High was written by Cameron Crowe, who had gone 21 Jump Street style undercover as a Rolling Stone journalist in a yes. high school yeah. and took notes on what he saw. It was a real, it's a really it. uncomfortable so film. Still truth. watching that, it's uncomfortable. It's a work of genius. Yeah. It really is. So you can either track down Fast Times at Richmond High or go and see Booksmart. Bert, which both. Is, do both. Do both. Do both. Compare and, and contrast. And dig up Better Off Dead. I don't know how easy Better it is to dead. find that film. It's not one of John Cusack's better-known star vehicles, but it's a it's a gem. Or the, and, sh- the Shaw thing with uh, yes. John Cusack. Amazing film. Oh, there's a link. There you go. Because that's the second film from somebody <gasps> we're about to discuss their first. How about that? I did that on purpose, Paul. Sure you did. That was slick. Uh, <laughs> Booksmart is now screening at all good cinemas, major and independent. You're listening to Plato's Cave on Triple R. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. The next film we'll be discussing on tonight's show is our retro title for this evening, Direct From Hell. (laughs) This is Spinal Tap. In the early 1980s, TV commercial director Marty DeBerge, the one with the little dog that chases the covered wagon under the sink, that was his, he and his camera crew uh, followed Britain's loudest band, Spinal Tap, led by two visionaries, David St. Hubbins and Nigel Tufnell as well as their bass player, Derek Smalls, and their manager, Ian Faith, around on their first American tour in seven years. But this one-time stadium-filling band is now playing to a smattering of audiences in B-list colleges and empty amphitheatres, unable to get their provocative record covers past the label and divided over the presence of St. Hubbardson's girlfriend or wife, 
or whatever. Denise, um, of course, this is the seminal rock, uh, mock rockumentary that launched Michael McKean, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer and debut director Rob Reiner to the pantheon of improv comedy. Cerise, does this retain its power as a cinematic comedy landmark or do you just have a two-word review for it? Shit sandwich. <laughs> oh, it definitely ain't no shit sandwich. This is still very, very funny. Um, and it's it, how big an influence it's been on comedy and on uh, the mockumentary genre, which has really hit its straps in, say, the last 10, 15 years, is, is immense. It, it wasn't the first mockumentary. It wasn't even the first mock rockumentary, though I think the term rockumentary may have been coined in the opening scene of this film, but maybe not. It's hard to tell what's real, what's not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the thing is that Spinal Tap have been a band that has existed outside of this film. They do tour. They are actually proficient musicians. They have written these songs. Some of the songs are actually fabulous. They're terrible, but they're fabulous. (laughs) Big Bottom is brilliant. It's one of the great dumb rock songs. Sex Farm. Sex Farm. I mean, the, the parody is is... Not that exaggerated, which is why countless bands in interviews over the years have always been asked, well, what are, tell us about some of your spinal tap moments, like when you were backstage somewhere and couldn't find your way to the stage or were <laughs> trapped in a prop or any number of absurd things have befallen you because you're in this ridiculous game called showbiz and, and in particular rock and roll, which uh, at its heavy rockinest and most metal is preposterous as as you know you only need the, the the merest bit of objectivity to to perceive i think even most people who are really into uh the big hair bands of the 80s 90s and that which never die in europe or in japan which is of course a joke in the film i'm uh, going to scandinavia yeah i'll get my heavy rock that's right soon. well that, those bands that you, pre- you you may have thought had died long ago they don't they just tour Europe and Japan forever, and <laughs> they never go away. And nor will this film; it will remain relevant forever. I think Marshall even did make an amp that went to eleven in the wake of this film. Because why wouldn't you? Why did you choose to um, for us to do it at this stage, um, Cerise? Well, because a lot. So for some, like a good couple of months or more now, we've been throwing in a classic film with some regularity and we've had a lot of genre films, but we haven't had a comedy and comedies are so easily overlooked in the pantheon. Oh, we not, had Life of Brian. Oh, you did have Life of Brian. Yeah, but, but they, they are seldom You canonized. might not think it's a comedy. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the truth. <laughs> it's, um, Brian. Yeah, it's, it's just rare that comedies get their due. Yeah. And this is... Uh, very well um, written and much of it, you know, there's clearly a lot of improv in there, but there are running jokes and, you know, how easily can you improv a running joke when that running joke is an exploding drummer? (laughs) (laughs) Some thought was got, was put into the script of this and some, some gags allowed to develop over, over time. And it does actually have a lovely, um, fairly conventional structure. There is a narrative there. There's a a trajectory there. um, And, and there's a trajectory there. A which homoerotic was, uh, rock and roll tra- oh, trajectory. Quite beautiful, I <laughs> well, think. Of course. Yes. Well, there's, yeah, there's a lot of homoeroticism. <laughs> in, in rock and roll. In rock and roll. <laughs> and just, yeah. And especially, oh God, all those, those close-ups of tight pants, <laughs> tight satin <laughs> pants. 
um, with whatever materials are shoved down them that set off alarms in airports. <laughs> Guitars almost slapped on backsides. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's still a very, very funny film. Um, and m- most of the humour has... has aged extremely well i don't watch this i don't cringe during barely, barely any of it other no. than what is meant to be cringed at because these yes. people are such fuckwits <laughs> they are so delusional they, they consider themselves geniuses in fact the music that we hear of them when they were going through their sort of skiffle period or you know, this the is Thamesman. yeah it's yeah, so beautifully steeped in old english rock and roll history that actually those songs are still quite good compared yeah. to the nonsense that Spinal Tap put out there. But it's all true to genre and it is um there is just a lot of truth in this and I think that's partly why it's also very funny. That's uh, I think that's a thing we talk of you know there's there, there can be a lot of broadness in comedy but the thing about this is Spinal Tap is the the small detailing that goes into this film it's absolutely incredible when you look at it and it comes across because it comes together so seamlessly you don't really think about it because that's what sells it like Cerise has just been talking about with the quality of the songs yes they're ludicrous and silly but there is actually musicality to those songs and we're talking about the early 80s where there was a whole string of you know rubbish films shall we say where they would present live bands and they were terrible like the songs that they would put up there were terrible and the crowd scenes in those films like I always think of the Lost Boys and that (laughs) totally bonkers rock show in in that film where there's these beefcakes playing (laughs) saxophone it is the 80s everyone played saxophone and there's nothing convincing about the crowd the actual the, the show Sequences in Spinal Tap are actually really great. The crowd mm. is convincing. You actually feel like you are in a, a show. They've, they've shot those beautifully. You actually <laughs> feel like you're on an airbase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> scruffy case, around yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, 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 they're, they're silly, they're stupid, they play their, you know, their lack of intellect to comic value, but they're talented musicians, yeah. you know, and you can see they're, they're not standing up there pretending to play they're actually doing it and they have uh, stage presence and they have rapport and um it's it's incre- it's it's incredible there's only a couple of moments where i've always thought uh that little moment sh- like for example when janine as davidson hubbins girlfriend at the end is look, sort of looking at um you know the manager yeah. ian and he's sort of slapping the the cricket bat in his hand that yeah. i go oh that feels twee because that is what another movie would do yeah there's yeah. just a couple of moments but I don't, the, the amazing thing about those couple of moments is it shows how great the rest of the film is and so how Subtle is not a word to say. Subtle the comedy is, but it is incredibly layered. And I think that these, you know, uh, these guys, um, the other film that really touched me, <laughs> touched me, made me laugh, that sounds oh, sounds rude, um, <laughs> was Waiting for Guffman. I love Best in Show because I love dogs, but um, Waiting for Guff- Guffman was the other music film they did and I think that they just have a um, rapport. A Mighty Wind. 
Yes. Oh, sorry. What am I talking about? A mighty wind. You're right. Thank you. Thank you so much for correcting me because that is true. A mighty wind. And the idea, well, I would say I understand this is Spinal Tap because the um, the the rock scenario is something I can probably understand more than, say, a 60s folk scene. Mm. Yet they seem to tap into <laughs> the essence of that so well that from what I know of it... I understood it and I laughed at the, the, the you know, all the the nuances and the, the little the little jokes. It's just it's just brilliant. It's something that I think that anyone if someone hasn't seen it and even if they're, you know, younger, let's say, not someone who was a teen in nineteen eighty eighty four, they're still gonna get a lot from it. Yeah, it's funny. I, I wonder how younger audiences would, would get into it. Um because so much of it just seems so timeless to me. Mm. Um, hilariously, with the mighty wind, um, Shira uh, McKeon and um, guest play a band called the Folksmen, mm. and at times the Folksmen have opened for Spinal Tap at gigs. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> it it all comes around. It's great. I love that it they support themselves. Around. Um, I this is perfect film for me this is one of my all-time favorite this is my favorite comedy of all time might be in my top 20 films mm-hmm. of all time um i just think it's it's astonishingly good it and there's always something else that gets you each time you watch it um it is it's always like like the moment at the moment it's like i can't get you're a naughty one, saucy Jack. You're a haughty <laughs> Which one. Which is the Jack the Ripper Jack. song. The Jack the Ripper song. It's that's a great. You're a naughty Jack the one. Like, it's a bit, that's a bit raga, Paul. <laughs> raga. A bit raga. <laughs> the accents well, are out. the same key, obviously. <laughs> oh, which God. we can only try. <laughs> which the accents are perfect. Like, uh, there's yeah. absolutely no perfect. And this is the thing. Uh, you start thinking, what separates this from everything that's come since or even you know the comedies that go for the same thing now yeah. and it's a lived-in quality it's it's not personality driven it's not these actors are coming in going we're gonna do this it's it's they become saint hubbins and tough nolan smalls and everybody becomes the characters that they are and just the world feels so lived in those details and layers that you were talk, both talking about um are infused everywhere and it goes beyond and obviously they did a ton of improv and there's quite famously the the uh, the deleted scene special feature on the Blu-ray is almost as long as the movie. There's a whole <laughs> yeah, other film's worth me. of material mm. and it's also great. And that's the thing. It's But it's this way it's like they know where to cut. And, and that's sort of this, you know... Again, I'm I'm kicking the post apato reign of comedy a bit tonight, but there's that sort of that reign of bloat with improv now. They just sort of let things go, and jokes go far beyond their expiration date, or they keep banging the same, you know, keep coming back to the same joke that got old after two uses. This film has such a preternatural sense of what to cut out and what to leave in, and how much of things to see. It goes for 83 minutes. It feels like an hour. Like it's over so fast, mm. and I just feel like you could. But yet, it has, as you say, it has a structure. It has a story. It has a beautiful relationship at its center, and it actually is quite lovely when that all you know sort of resolves in the end. And and it's quite a, a soaring ending um, among all the millions of 
you know, what um, Cerise said at the when she was first speaking about this hasn't this isn't the first mockumentary, but I think it really created a certain style of mockumentary. Yeah. I would say. Well, I mean, Christopher Guest didn't direct this one, but he no. was. I think he's probably the the main um, force behind all of those subsequent films with that repertory. Yes. Troop, mm. which involves the, the three spinal tappers, but then various others who you see some of in here, like Fred Willard appears here. Mm-hmm. But then there, there, there are a whole bunch of very familiar faces across Waiting for Guffman, A Mighty mm. Wind, Best in Show, mm. which I love so much. I love Best, best in Show it is so great. very much. It is great. Um, Dog owners yeah. are just hilarious <laughs> in themselves. <laughs> but then you know, Mockumentary became so uh, ubiquitous on TV yeah. And, um, and and with it, certain conventions, uh, laughter tracks were leached out of um, uh, TV sitcoms, which I didn't mind at all, but that, mm-hmm. that became part of a form that actually got stale, I found, really quickly. Mm. The English version of The Office smashed it out of the park and then everyone mimicked it. And I, I've always found shows like, I, mean, I, I know I'm not, I, I'm in, a bit of an island here, but I, I can't stand Parks and Recreation, for example. I've never found it funny. I love it. Because people are always just mugging for a camera that has no business even being there. Mm. It's not actually a mockumentary. There's not a documentary crew following them everywhere. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> See, I, I, don't, I don't even think of that as a mockumentary. It annoys me so much. <laughs> but yet they are. Yeah, it's very strange. that community. I can't that stand those shows. But I, if you look at, if you look at the, that's a completely different style of mockumentary to say something like, War of the Worlds. Yeah. Which well, is I was, a mo- mo- well, I was thinking yeah. the history being, you know, you've got Woody Allen's Take the Money and Run. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Albert Brooks's Real Life. Mm-hmm. Um, they were probably the two of the most prominent examples. Well, there are other rock and this. roll ones that pre- preceded this. So you've got um, A Hard Day's Night. Oh, oh yeah, the the Beatles, Richard Lester. Which was actually um, trumpeted on the posters at the time, yeah. the reviews yeah. were saying. And you've got Eric Idle's Russell's, his uh, own Beatles no, parody. No, was that the same year around? Oh, maybe That's Russell's earlier. was 82 and this was oh, sort of being earlier. All you need 82. is cash is earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the comic strip presents... Bad News, which just pips Spinal Tap at the post as well. Made for TV, but the comic strip yep. being Rick Mayle, Adrian Edmondson, yeah. and Nigel Plane. and French. Yeah. And, yeah, and Bad News is hysterical. This incredibly appalling heavy metal band goes on the road. <laughs> uh, it, it's actually deeply depressing ultimately, whereas <laughs> with Spinal Tap you come out of feeling buoyant. Bad News is it's very funny, but actually ultimately really... Really bleak. <laughs> more realistic. <laughs> yeah, it is more realistic. <laughs> and, of yeah. course, this one was directed by Rob Reiner, who directed The, the Sure Thing. thing. It's, See, it it's, all comes around together. And I don't think it? Reiner gets enough credit because I think, like, with what bot, like he, like with what Guest has done since. Uh, uh, Lord Guest to Lord you. Baden Guest has <laughs> done since. Uh, Mr. Jamie Lee Curtis to you. Not Mr. Jamie Lee Curtis has <laughs> done since. What the former Mr. Penny Marshall did in directing <laughs> this film. Uh, was, well done. Thank you. Uh, and R.I.P. Penny too. Respect. Yes. Don't uh, worry, I've got a, a, one of her films coming up. <laughs> Oh, That's awesome. a spoiler. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, she's uh, yeah, he's uh, like uh, controlling his thing and, and launching his own directorial career and going on to make such a, incredible films as The Princess Bride and When Harry Met Sally and Misery and 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 so on um, before hitting a wall in the mid nineties and never making a good film again. Um, the- <laughs> but hey, let's boogie. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is I mean you should not if if you haven't seen it there's no reason not to I I don't I, I literally don't care who you are I don't care what age you are I don't care what background like you will like there's something you'll find funny in this film I, I, agree. I think it's absolutely be wonderful beautiful good choice race well, thank you very much Excellent choice. (laughs) This is Spinal Tap is currently available to rent or buy on iTunes, Google Play and YouTube rentals. Three, triple, ah. Our final film for tonight is the new horror thriller from Alexandra Aja, Crawl. Competitive swimmer Hayley Keller, played by Kaya Scodelario, gets a call from her sister telling her a Category 5 hurricane is storming, storming its way toward their father's house and she hasn't heard from him. Haley and her dad are estranged, so she's none too eager to get out there, but does anyway. By the time she arrives, the floodwaters are rising and only her old family dog is waiting at his new condo. So she collects the pupper and heads to their old family home where she finds her dad, played by Barry Pepper, injured and trapped beneath the house. Just just when Haley is about to get out and go for help, she's met by not one but two alligators the rising floodwaters have drawn into the house. Will Haley be able to Im- implausibly outswim the gators? Will her dad suffer multiple life-threatening injuries and implausibly keep fighting? And most importantly of all, will the dog survive? <laughs> Emma, did these jaws bite hard and not let go? Or were you all like, catch a later, Gator? Uh, well, you know, it, th- this is all about apex pre- predators, isn't it? Because Haley, apparently she's an apex predator, according so, to her, her dad. So we're told. Barry Pepper, who was the sniper in Saving Private Ryan. I was like, he's not old enough to be a dad. And then I was like, oh, dear. Saving Private Ryan was 20 years ago. <laughs> Where has the time gone? But... Um, I, I've, you know, I've been pretty busy lately and I, I got in to see this movie and I, I found it particularly enjoy- a, a, a really entertaining little segue for my week. And I, I kind of went, hey, yeah, cool. By the time I got to Bill Haley and the Comets at the end with See You Later, Alligator, I went, okay, there's maybe some holes in the plot. <laughs> but, um, you know. Horror can be like that as well. Many many can be forgivable because there's somehow, um, I don't know, suspension of disbelief, shall we say. But this one, especially when um, the, the idea was that you splashed in the water and that attracted the alligators, I thought, what about those... Uh, deep flesh wounds that are bleeding everywhere. Maybe that will attract the alligators, but they didn't seem to think that. But anyway, I got to Bill Haley in the Comet and I was up the front and the, you know, the lights came up and I turned around and there's a race sitting yeah. down the back. Looking rather less impressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I went, oh, that was fun. And Cerise just completely took all my joy away. She was like a joy vacuum. Well, that's Cerise what the film was for me. <laughs> <laughs> Vacuum up our joy. I said, God, how am I going to get any material for the show out of that experience? <laughs> you are my material. <laughs> yeah. God. And I'd, I myself just driven through a storm to get there. I thought, really? I have a, a real-life tempest and then I get to see a film about a storm in which I don't care whether anyone lives or dies. <laughs> I felt nothing for these people because they were so thinly sketched. This father-daughter relationship, apparently it was all a little 
um, they needed to reconcile. They needed to talk through some things. Obviously, the time to do that is when half submerged in a basement <laughs> under a house you no longer own or do you um, when there are alligators, um, quite large ones. Uh, oh, yeah, mostly quite large ones. Um <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is just so preposterous. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't even get a good jump scare out of this. I didn't get anything that just surprised me. I didn't get, uh, you know, the setup. I mean, I've seen giant croc or alligator films before. What's your favourite giant croc or alligator film? Mm. Uh, I think it was something called Alligator, wasn't it? Wasn't that the one oh, where yeah. they, they... The John Sayles, yeah. Lewis yeah, Teague. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Robert Forster. It's not a bad movie. I'm actually a big um, champion of uh, Rogue. Greg I like McLean's Rogue, Rogue. The, the Aussie. Good. Uh, I'm glad Greg, to hear. Yeah. Greg McLean's. Yes. 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 We don't make enough big monster movies out here. And we are the land of apex predators. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we are due a Razorback remake, aren't we? Surely. Oh, oh, I wish they'd just leave it alone. It's a beautiful little diamond as is. Razorback versus Rogue? <laughs> yes. Now you're talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I found this. I, I, you didn't need all the shoe leather with the family and the broken and the like, the, the completely superfluous sister and the child and the like. The, the, like I keep dreaming because like, because I think once the first gator appears, it's quite fun. I think from then on, it's you know other than the inspo speeches that we get towards the end that are grown worthy. I think all the stuff with the alligator and just purely trying to survive and the CG gators are actually quite good. It's, I think all that stuff is rather well handled. They use the dark spaces in the house really well. It's seemingly labyrinthine. But, yeah, it's just you don't need all the stuff. I keep wishing that one of these films one day was almost silent. Yeah. Mm. And it was just effect, no dialogue. Just just do it without dialogue. I kind of quite like the... Um the actual uh, storm. I found the storm to be almost Hitchcockian in a the bird sense, yeah. like it, it was drawn on or something. The backdrops were drawn. I mean, I think that in today's age of trying to replicate reality, it had a very theatrical aspect to it, which I really enjoyed. And I enjoyed the noise of the storm. I also enjoyed the the through line of the film, as in it didn't sort of branch off into a whole lot of other things. It yep. just remained in the basement, which I thought was quite good. It, it held me. It actually held me. It was ridiculous. You are yes. totally right, Cerise. But um, even the name Crawl I thought was kind of interesting because, well, first of all, I think it's a stupid name. But secondly, um, when it opened and, and, you know, it it plays on swimming, her jumping into the water and this, this, you know, tidal crawl coming up, I thought, Australian crawl? Yeah, why weren't they on the soundtrack? Yeah. Why were not a few bars of Errol? (laughs) I feel, I feel like this, uh, yeah, I feel like Cerise felt this was left in the basement too. Um, Crawl is now screening at all good major cinemas. You've been listening to Plato's Cave on Triple R with Cerise Howard, Emma Westwood and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. On tonight's show, we discussed Booksmart, now screening at most good cinemas. Our retro title, This is Spinal Tap, now available to rent or buy on iTunes, Google Play and YouTube rentals. And Crawl, also screening in most major cinemas. You can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on the Plato's Cave page at triplerr.org.au now. Uh, you can also subscribe to the Plato's Cave podcast via iTunes. Next week, our intrepid cavers will be exploring the documentary Hail Satan, the Korean crime flick The Gangster, The Cop, The Devil, and our retro title will find a devil of a human kind in David Lynch's Blue Velvet. 
A huge thank you to Faith Everard for editing the Plato's Cave podcast and panelling the show this week and Lisa Kovacevic for producing our show. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.